Carpenter's Way. Good morning. Hey, if you're in the room, um, you're more than welcome to stand and worship with us. Don't have to, but uh, you're more than welcome. If you're online, uh, we say it every week, but don't be a spectator. Join in with us this morning. And all that is within me cries for you alone. Be glorified, Emmanuel, God with us. My heart sings a brand new song. The dead is paid, these chains are gone, Emmanuel, God with us. Free. In ways that we 
suffering compared to Calvary nevertheless we lay it at your feet oh such a tiny offering compared to Calvary Nevertheless, we lay it at your feet, and all that is within me cries for you alone.
If you're not already standing, would you please stand and read the scripture with me? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us, who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins.
let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the
door. Behold the light of the world. He takes away all our sins. Oh, church hey nice to see you this morning man the room is decorated so nice and neat for christmas i love it deck the halls went well it was great uh thank you for being here we are glad that you're here welcome if you're joining us online we're glad that you're here as well uh, my name is adam i'm the youth pastor in case this is your first time here and uh, i just have a, a few quick announcements uh, for you regarding our youth, all right? So we've got our adventure camp coming up, and this is a big year because we're going to Colorado. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, all right. So that trip is a bit more expensive, so we're going to do some fundraisers over the course of the year. And uh, our first opportunity is coming up pretty quickly on December 19th, all right? We are planning to do a Christmas present wrapping uh, fundraiser, right? So if you're like one of those people that's like, gift wrapping isn't my gift, this isn't my deal, yeah, bring and drop off your, your Christmas gifts and our youth will uh, uh, wrap those for you. Uh, I'm going to be sending out an email a little bit later this week with all of the details. We need you to do some things before you bring those gifts so that we can keep them all in order. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, like stick a label on there uh, so we know who that's supposed to go to, things like that. So be looking for that email uh, later this week. The second opportunity, and this fundraiser is going to uh, just run from now until the time uh, we go to camp. And you're all very familiar with it. It's hire a teen, all right? 
Many of our teens want to uh, work for you so that they can go to camp a little bit cheaper. They want to they wanna earn uh, the money that it takes to go. All right, so uh, if you will sign up for that. We've got youth that are already signing up for that. You know, raking leaves, washing cars, cleaning house, uh, any kind of weird thing you might have for them to do, uh, they want to do it, all right? So uh, not weird thing, just, you know, all right. I saw Amber right there. Okay, that's all I have. I'm going to just scoot on out of here now. All right. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> you are so weird. Bless it. Isn't, isn't he so cute, like a little elf on the shelf? Um, <laughs> okay, uh, for the last few weeks, um, we have been talking about a uh, love offering that we do for the staff and next week my job to remind you guys next week is our last week to uh, give that love offering uh, every year we take it we divide it out give it to the staff in the back uh, in the lobby there are love offering envelopes you can mark those for staff also if you give online uh, you have the ability to make comments there and you can comment that you'd like to give those for the staff so uh, you guys take this time to uh, to contribute to show the staff how much you appreciate them and show love for them during this time thank you very much yes thank you please do not encourage him I mean at least this time he wore pants and I'm just gonna leave it right there some of the, some people who are visiting are like what don't no, it's carpenter's way and Adam, man, I want to do that. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> you, are, you are the coolest kid I know. I, I mean, I, that is awesome. Um, wow, I got to pull my brain together. Okay, so a couple things. I, it, doesn't this look wonderful? And, uh, you know, yes, I agree. And uh, Jeff, uh, over, Jeff dreams this up every year. And uh, I just, I feel like with these, I should be wearing skinny jeans. But I'm not. <laughs> I, Let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> so, but, it, but I, you know, a lot of work and planning. And I just want to thank you. You know, we've had Operation Christmas Child. And then we had, we've had other things going on. Funeral dinners and the decorations. And, you know, it is incredible who shows up. I think we had the best decorating crew we've ever had this last Wednesday night. Thank you, adults. And appreciate so much. And, you know, we've had some new families. Please don't. Please don't hesitate. If you're new and part of Carpenter's Way, that's how you get to know people. We, we ate cookies and decorated, and it was really an, an enormous amount of fun. And I just want to thank you guys for, uh, for doing this. It, it is a joy, and we're kind of kicking in now to our Christmas season. Our, uh, I'm actually this morning finishing up our study in Galatians. Don't clap. Um, but I'm finishing our study in Galatians, and then we're going to take three weeks. And I know if you're counting, Christmas is two weeks away. But in three, we're going to do a three-week series called Emmanuel. On, on, on who Jesus, who is Jesus. And it, it's going to be different, I promise. But I would encourage you uh, to watch either online or in the room and just stick with us to study because there's really some things that I think, I think we forget about Jesus Christ and uh, Jesus the Messiah. And I'm very, very excited to do that. Um, having said that, we want to help you. This is a great season to reach to family and friends as well as just be encouraged. It's been a crazy couple of years. And we need to remember that it is well with our souls because of, of Jesus Christ, because of what God has done through the second person of the Trinity. 
And we have lots of events coming up to remind you of that. One is Tuesday night, ladies. There is a, uh, this, this uh, ladies event, and it's actually sold out. So that's really cool. Um, having said that, uh, if we could get some strong guys after the service, we need to remove this section because we're going to fill it with tables here. And then uh, we're going to get 18 tables in here. And then this section is going to fill in the chairs. So guys, after the service, if you would take five minutes with us, we'll stack these and put them in the back corner over there. And, uh, but I also want to mention the other upcoming thing. Uh, I mentioned the Christmas series that starts next week. I want to remind you that on Sunday the 19th, we have a family Christmas service. And this is a tradition of Carpenter's Way. The Sunday right before Christmas, we close everything down but this. And that means even the children here, it is a family Christmas. And I know some of the, some of the moms of young kids or demon-possessed two-year-olds are like, oh, no, we want to hear them. We want, it's okay, bring them. Bring them in here. We really feel like worshiping as a family is really important. And while, while we have ministries available up through third grade during the worship services, and that's so that you can concentrate, this is the one, I think we do it one other time a year, where we just have everybody in here. And we know that your kids are going to act up and stuff, but the service is 60 minutes long and not longer. Uh, we have videos and music, and I'm going to teach a little bit, which is always interesting for the children. But uh, it's going to be a fun morning, and that's the 19th. And then, uh, um, so I want to remind you of that. And I want to remind you also that Christmas Eve is December 24th this year. And uh, we are going to have our candlelight service. It's, uh, for those of you who don't know, again, it is a 30-minute service. We fill this area up here with candles, and we come together, and basically we just sing and read Scripture for 30 minutes. This is not a Carpenter's Way thing. It is, it is a family of God thing. And uh, so I invite you to come out. I invite you to, to, uh, to invite people with you. It's a, it's a very, very wonderful time. And again, that's Christmas Eve. And I want to give you a one-year, three-week heads up. You know, next year, Christmas is on Sunday. Do you guys remember what we do when Christmas is on Sunday? We do a midnight service so that we can have Sunday off. So just, I'm just kidding. If it's at midnight, it's anyway. So uh, plan on joining us. We have all these events. And uh, if there's anything you need this Christmas that we as a staff or as a church leadership team can minister to you on, please let us know. We are praying for you because we already know you're going to be getting together with family. And there's people invariably in there who don't know Jesus. And we want to encourage you as you have an opportunity to minister to them. So uh, I think that does it for all the announcements right now. Remember after the service, help us clear this out. But uh, let me pray, and then we're going to turn our eyes away from all the things of the world, and we're going to focus on the Word of God. Lord, we love you, and we're thankful um, even more than us loving you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you kept your promise and you sent your Son into the world, born of a virgin, who was named Jesus, which means salvation. Thank you that he lived 33 years, and as he promised, he died on the cross. He took the punishment of our sin on his body on the cross so that we might be declared holy and righteous. Thank you because of that we don't have to fear dying. Thank you because of that we can have hope. Thank you because of that uh, even if this is a difficult season because you've lost loved ones or, or your life isn't the way you dreamed it to be, that there is hope because eternal life is going to be better than we could ever possibly imagine. And Lord Jesus, as we study your scripture, I pray that we as a church would avoid the romanticism of the season if that's all it is. That our hope would not be found in lights or food or family, but would be found purely in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I ask you as we, as we wrap up this study that's been going on for half a year and, and, and we, now, we now turn our eyes towards Emmanuel, 
I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us this morning. For those who may not know you, may today be the day that they are adopted into the family of God. For those who do know you and need encouragement, may today be an encouragement to those who know you but need to be reminded of what matters. I pray that today, through your word, you would do that. So I pray that the words of Mark would fade away so that the words of God could endure forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning, as I already mentioned, we come to the end of our study that I called The Only Way. Uh, Today marks the end of our verse-by-verse look at Paul's letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. Uh, Paul loved these folks. Uh, He loved these folks before they were saved because God gave him a love for the lost. But after they were saved, Paul and Barnabas developed a super close relationship with these people. He went into these Gentile churches, these Gentile communities in the region of Galatia, and he presented the gospel. And what was that gospel? Romans 10, 9 through 13, Paul records it for us. And as I I introduce what I want to look at today, the end of it, I want to remind you of, of Paul's gospel message is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, now I want to pause for a second, not just that you're a fan of Jesus or you like Jesus, but that he's Lord. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How crazy is that? It doesn't talk about baptism. It doesn't talk about church attendance. It doesn't talk about speaking in tongues. But you're saved if you confess that he's Lord. You're God. I'm not. I need you like the thief on the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is the solution to sin's problem. You will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved, As the scriptures tell us, anyone who puts their trust in him will never be disgraced. Isn't that awesome? I think it's awesome. The rest of you are asleep. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. After hearing Paul and Barnabas preach this, these Gentile believers, uh, many of them, many of these Gentiles actually accepted God's offer to forgive their sins. And they began a personal, intimate relationship with God through his son Jesus. Unfortunately, it was not long after that that false teachers who twisted the message of the gospel just enough to make it sound like the gospel came in and began adding with a similar sounding gospel to what Paul had preached. But Paul in Galatians' letter, in the letter to the Galatian churches, actually says it's not the same gospel. It's another gospel. It's a twisted gospel that is made intentionally to sound like the gospel that we presented to you. This other gospel was not based on God's mercy and His grace. And I want to remind you that mercy is getting, not getting what you do deserve. And what do we deserve born with a nature under God's wrath? We deserve God's wrath. We deserve eternal eternal separation from God. We deserve, in effect, hell. God shows mercy to people and He doesn't give us what we deserve. In fact, He gives us grace. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. And that's eternal life, a relationship with Him. And I want to remind you that God's goal in sending, the Father's goal in sending Jesus, the Trinity's goal, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, their goal was not just to save us from hell, but actually bigger than that, to save us from themselves. I want you to remember this. God did not send Jesus to save you from hell. He sent Jesus to save you from his wrath. 
to save you from himself. You have not been saved from a location. You have been saved from a judge. And he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be adopted into his family. We could be called the children of God. And that's why Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. I prepare a place for you. In my Father's home are many rooms. And you're going to come join me there. That we're invited not just out of hell, but we are invited into the family of God. And we are invited by the mercy and grace of God. And these false teachers were coming in, and they were teaching a self-empowered religiosity. In other words, if you're circumcised, if you keep the Jewish, uh, the Hebrew traditions, if you keep uh, the, cl- the calendar of the Hebrew church, if you keep all this, then you will help and be, uh, the spiritual nature that you need, and you'll become more like God. Exactly what Lucifer said to Eve in the Garden of Eden. I want to remind you that when Eve and Adam looked at the fruit, They did not go, how can we rebel rebel against God? Their question was, how can we help God? And I want to remind you that it tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that as she looked at the tree and she saw that fruit, that it was desirable to make her wise. She would be like God, knowing good and evil. She then took and ate. Uh, Eve was not in abjunct rebellion against God. She was just disobedient and wanted to save herself. Cain was still worshiping, brought a sacrifice, went to the right God at the right altar. The problem was he brought the wrong sacrifice. He brought his own sacrifice, and God told him to bring a lamb. It's important that you understand that God is the only one that can save us. He is the only one that can offer the perfect sacrifice in Jesus. And these people were saying, Jesus is fine and good, but the problem is you can help it. You can become more spiritual by keeping the laws. And so Paul wrote this letter we've been studying together, and today we find ourselves with Paul's uh, parting words for them and for us. And we pick up Galatians in chapter 6, verse 11. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Now, I know there's been a lot of conversations. Let's just pause with this for a second, because there's been a lot of conversation and theological and doctrinal and interpretive question on what this means. See, this proves he had an eye problem. It doesn't really prove anything except that he is saying, you'll notice that the writing with which you get this letter is not the usual writing when I write you. This is my personal handwriting. Usually, most of the letters in the New Testament that even Paul is is addressed as the author of is he dictating the letter to a scribe who then records it and sends it on. And copies are made of that letter, and usually they were distributed throughout the churches. Even uh, even John's letters are usually done by scribes. That's why in most of these letters, they uh, they are greeted. uh, This is Paul that greets you, but also Thomas and Timothy and Barnabas because they're all involved in the writing. This letter as he ends it, he wants them to know, I wrote this one. It was too personal. I did not want to hand this off. This is too important. So I want you to notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. This is my writing. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching the cross of Christ alone can save. Notice that word? What's that word? alone. People say all the time, it doesn't say that in the New Testament. Well, apparently it does. And there's persecution for those who teach this. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. Wow. For those of you who have been with us in this study, Paul has just laid it out. They're telling you that you're saved by keeping the law, by keeping being circumcised. And I'm here to tell you, they're not even keeping the law. 
They only want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about it and claim you as your disciples. I guess a seeker-focused church, a numbers-focused church is not, the, is not new. They wanted to be able to brag about these people. The biblical gospel, the real good news, according to the New Testament, is that anyone can have a perfect relationship with God. Think about that. A holy relationship. Anyone, no matter who they are or what they've done, can have a perfect, right relationship with God himself and actually be adopted into his family as a free gift, like a Christmas gift, from God to any people and all people, no matter who they are or what they've done, but only through Christ alone. It's only through Christ you can be made right with God. And Paul is saying that these false teachers have come into their churches to convince them of another gospel, which really wasn't good news at all. It actually only made the obedient person look better, but the messengers look better. Their interest of these false teachers was not the salvation of, the, uh, of these people that Paul loved, but actually so that they could brag on stealing Paul's disciples. People knowing who Jesus really was and yet not bowing the knee or following him and even teaching false things despite knowing what was true wasn't new in this story. In other words, these false teachers who actually know who Jesus is, who actually know about his resurrection because they either saw it or heard about it firsthand. Remember, this is only a few, a few dozen years after Jesus' resurrection. Most of these people were alive at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, or they were, the, they were young children at that time. So the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that he did miracles, they could have seen it. They could have been firsthand witnesses to some of the miracles that took place. And these people who are teaching this false doctrine they knew who Jesus Christ was, but they didn't follow him. And that isn't new to this story. In fact, in John chapter 3, here's a, a famous story, a popular story. But I want you to notice what Nicodemus' angle was when he comes to Jesus. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And I want to pause there before we read on. Most of the time, people are taught, well, he went at night because he was going in secret. He was secretly investigating Jesus. He was interested himself. And that's not necessarily what this text says. While that may be a possibility, the other possibility is Jesus was so busy during the day that the only time to have a serious conversation, especially if you had something you wanted to bring to him, would be after the crowds left at night. So it is possible that Nicodemus wasn't a seeker. And here's why, I'll tell you why. He says, Rabbi, or good teacher, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. So the truth is, according to that text, Nicodemus did not come of his own accord. He's coming on behalf of a group of people that he was a leader of. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So let me pause for a second and make this clear. They knew, Nicodemus knew based upon his own testimony that Jesus, the Messiah, was sent from God and had been validated by the miraculous things that Nicodemus and his troop were aware that he had been doing. If, and I, I know that you guys are students of the Bible and you're already thinking, well, he asked Jesus how a man is born again. Not until Jesus changed the subject. You need to read it again. Because what Jesus does is he interrupts him. Uh, he comes to him and he says, why do you call me good teacher? And he said, let me tell you the truth. Verily, verily, or truly, let me tell you the truth. 
A man cannot see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And that starts the born-again discussion. What does that mean to me? Why am I pointing that out? Because I believe that, that Nicodemus was coming to see how Jesus and his group could coordinate their messages. They wanted Jesus' supernatural power and their doctrine. How do I know that? Because he left. He didn't follow Jesus. He wouldn't say, how can I be part of you? He came to Jesus and Jesus interrupted. When he says, truly, truly, when he says, listen to me, he's actually saying, let's stop. Let's not waste any time, which is classic Jesus. I know exactly what you're thinking. I know exactly why you're here. And let me tell you something. Unless a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus responds, as you know, with a smart aleck response. You don't expect a man to get back in his mother's womb, do you? How can I do that? I mean, come on. He wasn't interested in science. He was responding to the ridiculous nature of what he thought Jesus was saying. And Jesus looks at him and says, if, it's like the wind blows. You don't know where it comes from. If you, a teacher of the law, don't understand this, how will you understand if I explain it to you? The fact is that Nicodemus did not come to Jesus with a broken heart or a humble heart or to be saved. He didn't ask Jesus for salvation. He comes to Jesus on behalf of a group of people that have all identified that Jesus must be from God because he's done miracles, and they want to coordinate. They want to cooperate. They want to make peace with this Jesus guy. What do you believe? And, and I, I just want to say for a second, anytime you come to Jesus to cooperate with him, you are not coming to Jesus on your knees. You see, the fact is, if Jesus can raise the dead and make the blind see, if he can make the lame walk, if he can stand up and preach the truth in a way that nobody else can, if his message is clear, you don't come to him to negotiate truth. You come to him bowing. What must I do to be born again? That's the question. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's the statement. It's a broken and contrite spirit. And Nicodemus didn't come to him like that. Nicodemus came to him in an arrogant way. And the, the problem is for, for a lot of us, and, I, and, and you can push back on this, it's okay, we can have a dialogue on why I believe this. The truth is, we know what happens in the end, that Nicodemus becomes a follower of God at the end, after the resurrection. But I want to remind you that so did Jude and James, Jesus' brothers. They did not follow Jesus. They mocked him right up until the resurrection. And then James becomes the, the head pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Just because people talk with Jesus doesn't make them followers. In fact, I would argue, well, this isn't the only place. Look at John 12, verse 42. Many people, this is such an unbelievable verse, you guys. Many people did believe in him, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. Verse 43, why? Because they loved human praise more than the praise of God. So pastor, you're telling me that you think Nicodemus and clearly these people and these, these Galatian false teachers, you're telling me that they knew Jesus was actually the Redeemer. They knew that he was the Messiah and they still didn't bow the knee. And I'm here to tell you that's exactly what they did. Because we love the praise of people more than man. And if you think that is just New Testament stuff, let me show you an example of that today. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Uh, Louise, would you put the picture up there, please? That is a beautiful Christmas card. That looks like something you and I would send to anybody, right? You know where I'm going with this. You already know. That's not what the verse says does it? The message of this Christmas card is, the baby's been born. 
You know, we, we learned about him in Talladega Nights. The Talladega Nights, baby. Dear baby Jesus, seven pounds, three ounces. And then in that stupid movie, which was filthy, and I only saw part of it, his wife says, why do you always pray to the baby Jesus? You know he grew up, he said, because I like the baby Jesus more than any other Jesus. That's the Jesus I want to choose to pray to. And those of you who watch it know exactly what I'm talking about. There's actually an important doctrinal truth. You don't get to choose which Jesus to pray to. Because that's not what the Scripture says. In fact, Louise, will you put that verse up there? It's out of Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the, in the highest heaven, the angel said, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That's what the verse says. The verse doesn't say peace on earth. It says peace on a certain group of people on the earth. And, and, and why? Why? I mean, it's, it's a pretty important omission, isn't it? I mean, seriously, Christians, for a second, let's think doctrinally. The other one gives a wrong message. That Jesus came, and, and one of the messages is, is that he came, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, that Jesus came to earth because he wanted to be with people. The problem with that is it completely ignores that God, including Jesus, was with people in the Old Testament. I remind you that he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden every day. That he actually met with Cain when he was in the midst of his sin and said, do the right thing, dude. And Cain didn't freak out, he just disobeyed. I want to remind you that Noah met with God. I want to remind you that Job met with God when God was wrestling with him over what he was doing. I want to remind you that Abraham actually walked with the angel of the Lord and two other angels. I want to remind you that, I mean, we could go on and on. Actually, I would argue that the whole people of the Egyptian nation had met with God. The reason he did the ten plagues was to show them about himself. The truth is, God was very active in the Old Testament, and it's almost the feeling in our culture today, half of the story, that it began at the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is the physical manifestation of a promise that God made way back to Abraham, which was a promise that he had actually made to Eve in the Garden of Eden, which was a promise that he made to himself before the world was even formed. And the text that Chad preached this or read to us this morning, or the worship team led us in, actually says that before the world was even formed, God made a plan to adopt us into his family. This didn't start with the birth of Jesus. It's just the fulfillment. And that's why Ananias, uh, or Anna, sorry, Ananias, that's the wrong guy. Anna and Simeon, those two old people in the temple that are there when Jesus is brought into the temple to be circumcised, they're amazed. My eyes have seen the promised Messiah. Remember that? And he actually, uh, Simeon says, I can die now because God said I wouldn't die until I saw the Messiah. Now I can come home. And Anna is running around saying, I've seen the Messiah. I've seen the Messiah. And it tells us that Mary saw and took it in because she was perplexed by the whole thing. This is so important that you understand this. Why would why would anybody only want to say peace on earth? Because they want the world to like the message. They don't want to be exclusive. You want to offend somebody out there? Tell them that there is no salvation in anyone or anywhere else but Jesus Christ. Despite the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And then later in that very same chapter, Jesus said, I'm the gate. I, I want to be clear here, especially if you're visiting or watching online and you're searching. It is not through the Baptist church that there's salvation. It's not through the Assemblies of God church that there's salvation. It's not through walking an aisle that there is salvation. It is only when you realize he's the only one that can save you and you, you accept his gift. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And that's why we exchange gifts, to remind ourselves supposedly 
that God gave us the greatest gift. My friends, remember to teach your children that it ain't about the red guy. It's about Jesus. It's important. One of the reasons that we put the, uh, that, that manger scene out there, and thank you, all of you who have already told me that the, sh- the wise men are not supposed to be in there. I just don't know that it would work if I put them across the street. So just bear with the bad theology. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, the wise men actually don't come on the scene for two years. But I, we put it out there so your kids could go in, so they could sit on the camel, so that they could touch the baby Jesus. It seems to be Irish in that little thing. It's, he's got red hair. I know some of you have noticed that because I've been text on that. I, I'm not going to paint his hair. It'll, it'll look bad. But we want you to go in there and say, remember, this is about Jesus. Just, just, just tell him it's about Jesus. Just tell him. Let him sit on the camel. Who's this guy? He's a worshiper. This is a shepherd. Tell him the story. Live the story with them. Uh, They'll ruin it. Yeah, they probably will. We'll buy new ones. We'll just take a special offering. It's important because it is about not just Jesus coming, but what he did. And it is important that people understand that there is only peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And in the Galatian churches, some truth was being taught, like in the Garden of Eden, Satan was right when he said God knows that you'll be like him, knowing good and evil, but he made the thing he was trying to protect them from the desirable thing. He takes parts of the truth and he removes the stuff that actually is important to know. And the gospel is this, that there can be peace on earth, but only to those with whom God is pleased. What God offers is eternal spiritual truth. If we were to ask, if we were to Abel and this is silly, but if we were to ask one of the mothers of Bethlehem who was alive at the time of Jesus' birth, if it was a peaceful time, if it was a silent night, they would say absolutely not. Within two years, every child, every male child, two years and younger, are slaughtered. And that's a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. You see, the truth is Jesus taught over and over that the truth does in fact divide. And we can't make it less divisive just because we don't talk about it. You you don't save people by making friends with them. On the other hand, I'm not endorsing being a jerk either. But we have a story to tell. The reason we celebrate is because Christ has come. My sin is going to be forgiven. And I think, I think Chad actually wrote that song, Christ has come, and we sing it. It's hallelujah. The word hallelujah means praise the Lord. And why are we praising the Lord? Because his promise to take away our sin that we are constantly struggling with has been fulfilled. And that brings us hope. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may have no money to buy Christmas gifts this year. You may have no money for a big ham dinner, which is weird on the birth of a Jew. It, you, you may have no money. But you still have salvation. You still have adoption. And somewhere along the line, you're going to feel that isn't enough and Satan's going to introduce you to half-twisted truth that's going to make you feel good about yourself and it ain't the gospel no matter how much it sounds like the gospel. God offers us spiritual peace that starts at the moment of salvation with those who have made peace with God by accepting his gift of offer of Jesus to take the punishment for our sin. If you have never done that, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of your adoption. Call on the name of the Lord where you're at, whether you're in this room or you're online. Call on him. Well, how do I do that? It's not a religious act. It's an honest act. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. Just call on the name of the Lord. You know you're a sinner? Tell him you know you're a sinner. If he's the Lord that can take your sin away, tell him you know he's the only one who can take your sin away. 
Do it. What are you waiting for? An experience? Let's keep going. Why would we omit parts of the truth? Why would we twist it? Because people get offended if peace is only offered to some. In light of this happening in the Garden of Eden, happening with Cain, in light of this happening in the New Testament in, three, in, in multiple locations, three that I pointed out, in light of what happened here, there are two things as we end this study together that I want to I beg of you as your pastor, as your friend. Number one comes from 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes through trusting in Christ Jesus alone. And I want to pause there. Thank God for good teachers. Thank God for evangelists. Thank the Lord that your parents or your grandparents poured into you. Thank the Lord that Carpenter's Way did that, video, that, that, that uh, drama a years ago on Titanic that some of you met Christ at. Thank the Lord that somebody introduced you, Billy Graham introduced you to Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord for them. And Paul is endorsing that. You were blessed. You've been taught them from child. Somebody, your Sunday school teacher, taught you the Holy Scriptures. But you can't trust the evangelist. Verse 16, it's Scripture that is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare us and equip us, uh, His people, to do every good work. Thank God for good teachers, for men and women who have, have taught us the Word, for pastors, but you cannot put your trust in them. We fall. We get selfish. We get stupid. In your hands, in your home, on your phone, you have the Word of God in at least 35 different English translations. There is no excuse for a child of God not to know God. In your hands, you have the very words and knowledge of God. You must know the Scriptures for yourself and for the protection of your family. If you are trusting a Christmas card that says peace on earth and your whole Christmas season is filled with, well, I don't feel like peace, that's because you're looking in the wrong place for it. If your, if your peace giver is merely a manger-laden baby, you are missing what he did that offers peace. I say the same thing about a wooden tree upon which he was hung. If you are looking to the cross to save you, you are missing the point. Lots of people were crucified, but only this one rose from the dead. It is his blood. It is the blood of that man, that Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world that offers us peace. And what is that peace? It is well with my soul, even if my life is difficult. We keep looking for people to offer us peace. And I promise you, it is not in the Republican Party or in the Democratic Party. It's not going to be found in your religious body. Man, we have problems with the Catholic Church priests. We have problems with Southern Baptist guys doing stuff. I'm telling you, it is found in Jesus. And I beg you to run to him. Not the seven pounds, six ounce. And I, I don't know what he weighed. He was probably huge because he was God. He might have, well, that, that's the size of the manger over at Timber Creek. It was huge. Why are you laughing? That's not real? I mean, he's God, so I, I, maybe he floated above the hay. I don't know. What I know is that it wasn't the fact that he was in a manger that there's hope. That was the, that was the beginning of him physiologically fulfilling. Actually, it was nine and a half months into it. He's keeping his promise. We have separated the Old Testament God from the New. We're going to talk about that next week. But, but they're the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. 
He's a gracious, merciful God that wants to adopt us into his family. And he's not just a seven-pound, eight-ounce baby in a manger. That was the beginning, and it's an amazing story. But it's a story that ends at our peace. And the Scriptures tell us that story. And I just showed you how easily we are romanticized through even Christmas cards to miss the point. So how can I know, Pastor, this huge book? I'm 45 and I've, I've already lost it. I wish I knew the Bible like you, but I didn't go to school and I'm just not being in church. Maybe I should go to church every week. Before you do that, stop being lazy. There's lots of tools for you. Just read it. The Old Testament is boring. <laughs> yeah, it is. Some of it is. You know, Leviticus. I read through that and I go, well, I'm sure glad I'm in the New Covenant because I would not be a priest under the Old. You know, you stand on one foot, you find extra virgin olive oil, you reach across and you put it on the earlobe of the person who's sinning. I, how would I remember those things? Well, they had law books. But the fact is, you're supposed to be overwhelmed by the rules. We're supposed to look at Chronicles where the, where the Jews, the Hebrew people, keep hearing from God and His prophets and keep turning their back. Well, why would God want that? Because He wants us frustrated by the time we get to Luke chapter 2 where God tells, uh, I almost said Eve, where God tells Mary... I'm sending a Savior. Why a Savior? Because you're doing a lousy job saving yourself. There comes a point when you go, who can, these people are so stupid except that I'm just like them. Well, God, dear God, the only way for us to ever have a relationship with you, if you will just give us grace for free. Well, son, it can't be free, but I will pay the price. Remember the picture of Abraham in the Old Testament where we saw the vision of two walking through the blood and he wasn't one? God making a promise to himself to pay the price of a broken covenant? That's Jesus. But it wasn't Jesus in the manger. It was Jesus 33 years later on the cross. But if he'd have died and stayed dead, you guys, he'd have just been everybody, like every other great teacher. But he didn't. He came back to life. And he walked around and 500 people saw him and the government didn't know what to do so they made up stories about him. And none of the stories had anything to do with him still being dead. None of them. Why? Because he was alive. It's incredible what this story offers us. Hope, hope though in God. And you won't know it unless you read it for yourself. So start now. And if you have never read the Bible, I've got tools even on your phone that can help you. Videos that will help you understand the context of a book or why it's there. But you need to read the Bible for yourself. It will take 30 minutes a day. You'll have to turn MASH off. Seinfeld. The Office. Friends. I'm trying to think for every generation. There's another one of those shows. I don't know what today's generation watches. What do you guys watch? YouTube. 30 minutes. You can read... You can read through the whole Bible in one year. And you can see videos that help you understand it. You will learn God in a whole new way. But I beg of you to read through the Bible for the rest of your life, not just once, but every year for the rest of your life. Why? Because you need to read it as if it contains absolute truth about the Creator and His finest creation. As if it teaches the only way to have a personal, intimate relationship with God. I beg of you to read the Scriptures. And then you come here. Well, that's the next point. Ephesians 4, 11 to 15. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. 
This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be like immature, like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every new wind of teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. If the first thing is for you to dive into the word to protect you and your family from lies that sound like the truth, the second thing is, is be involved in the body of Christ. You need to be involved in the body of Christ. You need to be actively, and I'm, look, as I'm talking to people who came to church this morning, right? Do more. I'm not saying do more. Some of you are here or watching online and you don't have a church and you're looking for a church. If you're seeking a church, of course we'd love to have you at Carpenter's Way. However, if you don't feel like this is God's place for you, then you need to find a church where God's word is being preached within its biblical context and where the Godhead, the Trinity, is the center of everything being taught with the biblical gospel being the thing that is pointed to every week from the pulpit. Every week. Not creative programming or book studies or vibrant worship or a contemporary or traditional feel whose priority is to focus on people. We are not to be seeker-driven. We are only to seek the pleasure of the one who sought us. Our focus must be Jesus. The only safe church is a church where God's word is front and center in everything they do and God himself is the focus. Not anyone or anything else. If a church you can visit can do what they do without God's Word, teach what they teach without the Word of God being central and in context explaining to it, if the church that you attend can do it without the Holy Spirit's direction, without the biblical gospel at the center, then it's not a Bible church. It's not a biblical church. So, Carpenter's Way people, Here's my job description out of sec, out of, and my commitment to you in 2022. It comes from what Paul exhorted young Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.1. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whenever the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. That's my passion. That's what we're going to do in 2022. And we'll talk more about that the first Sunday in January. But that's my goal. And it is really important that you understand that it is not my job to bring you into my confidence and tell you how to raise your family. That's not my job. My job is not to tell you how to be a good American. It's not my job to tell you how to vote. My job is to push you back to God's Word and know the God of the Bible. The truth of the Bible, not to make you feel good. And, and I just want to say that I, it makes me nervous to commit to that. It makes me nervous to do that because that means every week is going to be difficult. Every week. Every week. Why? Because this is an upside-down kingdom. Every week, God's Word is going to push us to do the opposite of what we want to do, what we feel. That means that I have to be thoughtful when I listen to worship leaders, including Chad. I've got to listen to the words that are presented, the things that I listen to on Christian radio. That means I've got to be careful what I'm listening to in a Christmas card or a Christian presentation. I have to be thoughtful. 
because my flesh wants to be entertained, but it is my head that needs to be on in its place, or the twisted lies that are often presented as Christian doctrine will influence me. And my job is to protect you, and I want to do it as scared as it makes me. I wish I could make you feel good every week, but the problem is if you felt good every week, it wouldn't be an upside-down kingdom. And the problem with what I'm teaching you, you guys, and what I will be teaching you from God's Word, is I don't like it much more than you do. I mean, I like it, but I don't like it. My flesh doesn't like it. I wish I could take the next three weeks and just show you Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer videos. I, I don't think you'd come, but I, it would just, you know, I'd hand out popcorn, I'd give you cookies. I, I just wish it was as simple as the baby in the manger, but the truth is, the baby in the manger is absolutely meaningless unless I realize how much I needed God to write himself into the story to redeem my sinful, evil rear end. Because even as a pastor, even as a saved man of God, I'm still Romans 7. Why do I do the things that I hate? Who is going to save me from this body of death that is drawn to the flesh? And chapter 7 of Romans ends with Jesus Christ. It always goes back to him. I know some of you are wondering, I thought you were going to wrap up. Galatians, you're not preaching Galatians. Actually, I am. Let's go back to chapter 6. Verse 14, Paul is writing, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in the world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. My friends who are looking for churches, how about that? Carpenters away, people. How about that as you evaluate Mark? Forget my clothes, I'm wrinkly, or whether or not I'm crooked because my back is out. Whether my jokes are funny, you have no sense of humor, I'm hilarious and I know it. The jokes are for me because I get bored when I'm preaching. <laughs> the truth is, you should evaluate me based upon Paul's exhortation right here. His own self, his own, his own uh, this is who I am. I'm not here to build a big following. I'm here because I've been crucified. My interest in the world has... has, has uh, I don't want to boast about anything except the cross. My interest in the world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. Ask yourself when interviewing a pastor if you're looking for a church, what does the dude boast in? If you have a 30-minute meeting, how much, what's he talking about? Our children's program, our student program, our new building, our, our Christmas cantata, our me, or is it God? You see, a, a biblical shepherd cares about your soul, cares about your intimacy with God. What does the dude boast in? What does he talk most about? What do his words tell you his priority is? Is it his church? Is it his programming? Is it his creativity? Or is it God's transforming power? Because that's the only thing that works. What about an evaluation of your spiritual health in this? Is your interest in this life more than your interest in the next? What do you talk about the most at Christmas? What do you spend most time preparing, and I'm going to speak super, kind of try to be lofty, when you're working with your offspring? What do you spend the most time on this season? Is it making sure that, you know where I'm going, can I stop? Is it Jesus or something seasonal? I am not here to ruin your, your Christmas deceptions. But what do you talk about? Ah, oh, you're acting like a preacher. 
That's because I'm realizing how much we talk about even include Jesus in the nothing stories. Jesus came not to make me feel better, but to redeem me and give me hope. And it's a gift. Colossians 3, 1 to 5 says, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not on the things of the earth. For you have died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of the world. This kind of transformed thinking and how it affects our day-to-day living is going to be the focus of us this next year. This next year, on Sundays, we're going to study a a series that I'm going to call Living for Christ as Exiles. This is not a Christian nation. This is not a Christian world. And I want to go even farther. If you are a disciple of Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, not just a Christian, it is even lonelier. So how do we live? Well, Peter wrote that in 1 and 2 Peter, and so we're going to study that together. And then on Wednesday nights, we're going to do a series. Kip and I are going to lead a series uh, called Developing Godly Homes in Exile. And and this isn't just for families with children. Single homes. Homes where it's just a husband and wife. Homes where it's a broken home. How do I I establish a home that honors God? So we're going to take eight weeks and we're going to talk about that. On Wednesday nights, we're also going to do a biblical money management conversation. And John's going to be leading us in that. On Sunday mornings, there's going to be a new woman's study. How do I become a woman of God? And every study is going to be about that. How do I become God's woman? And Clay Alverson's going to do one for, for men. What does it mean to be a man of God? And I assure you, in this culture, that is a lost art because everything says being a man is nothing to be proud of. And I want to tell you something. God was proud of creating men and women. And our goal is not to become more like a woman in order to be accepted by this world. Our goal should be to be the kind of man God created us to be. How do we do that? By going to God's Word. So we're going to do that. We're going to go back and say, how do we live as exiles? Big finish. Galatians 6, 16 to 18. I love this. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principles. They are the new people of God. So just take that in for a second. Again, this is not a verse to put on a Christmas card because he actually says, may God's peace and mercy be on only those who live by these principles. Not on the rest. If somebody chooses not to work, they should be skinny. I'm sorry. That's 1 Thessalonians. Oh, you're just a conservative white guy. So just so you know, I think conservative white guys who don't work should be skinny. They should not have health insurance. They should be a mess. If you sleep around, you should be lonely and unsatisfied. If you, (laughs) this is a little guilt-wrenching, if you eat three meals a day, including cake, cookie, you should have cardiac issues. If you don't give, then your church should be poor. If you don't intentionally teach your kids what it means to live a godly life, your kids shouldn't be godly. You reap what you sow. That was last week's text. And we act like everything's an accident. Oops, I don't know what happened. I'm such a good parent. That's, that's stuff, that, you know, the, the point is, if, if I want you to know the Word, I'm going to have to read the Word. If I want you to, to believe the Word, I'm going to have to teach the Word. I'm going to have to encourage you. We reap what we sow. 
And what Paul is saying here is, may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. That conditional offer of peace. Verse 17. I love this. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things. <laughs> okay, well, Pam and I are the only ones who think that's kind of a rude line. This is inspired and inerrant by God. Leave me alone with circumcision. Stop it. You think he's frustrated? For I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. What he's talking about is the fact that these people are saying that Paul teaches like they do and that he's a fraud and they're attacking him from every direction. And he goes, I just don't need this issue. Quit questioning my authority. You do what you want to do, but I'm telling you, this is the biblical truth. So you follow biblical truth and bother me no more. I don't want to, I don't want to hear about this again. If you want to follow the Judaizers, go follow the Judaizers. Pretty rough, but that is exactly how he wraps up this book. Verse 18, dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I was thinking about this this week. Big finish, Paul. Thank you. So how do we wrap it up? You want to be a fan of Jesus or a follower? That's the question you have to answer in the quiet places of your heart. I don't know many people who don't like Jesus. I know lots of people who disagree on who he is. Is he God sent one? Is he the second member of the Trinity? Did he take on the form of a Trinity? Did he, I mean, it's just, you know, the world, Islam teaches that Jesus was a prophet. Who do you think Jesus is? And is he worth following? If he is, it's going to cost you everything. And you will, like Paul, bear the scars in your body and on your heart. Jesus was clear, and you know it. If anybody wants to follow me, they're going to have to pick up their cross and follow me. But he gave us each other in the church so we could do it together. And one week I'm going to bleed and you're going to have to bind my wounds and I'm going to preach stupid things and it's your job to confront me on that. And other times I'm going to have to confront you on those Christmas cards that I know about half of you are going to have to throw your cards away right now. <laughs> All you got to do is write on the inside the rest of the verse. And here's the rest of the verse so I hope you get, come to know Jesus as your Savior. I, listen, let me just tell you that when I stand up here and say that, I'm not like, you bunch of idiots. I'm, I'm an idiot too. I buy into I get I like the warm fuzzies. I love shopping at Christmas. I do. I really, really, really do. It's not nearly as fun without Best Buy, to be honest with you, but <laughs> I love all that. I love the music. But this year, I just, I think I reduced God from the creator of the universe to a baby in a manger. And I, 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 forgive me, Talladega Nights is not a movie to watch. Okay, I just want to say that. My son made me watch it. He's evil. Actually, I don't know that that's true. I don't even know how I saw it. I think Julie made me watch it. Um, <laughs> but I, I got I, I to I tell you this, and, and for those who have seen it, for the rest of you don't go watch it, I'm just going to say this. For those of you who have seen it, which is about 92% of you, um, we've really, Jesus of Christmas really is the Talladega Nights Jesus. Everybody's warm and fuzzy about him. Well, he wasn't, didn't stay in a manger. Yeah, but that's the Jesus I like. I like to pray to the Jesus in the manger. He's just so sweet. He's so cuddly. And it was so quiet. You had a baby. Babies aren't quiet. They're loud. And Jesus cried. And he threw up. And he, he was a teenager. And he asked really good questions that Joseph couldn't answer. And it must have been really hard to raise him. And then he had followers who were so excited that he was going to bring a new kingdom into Jerusalem. So excited. 
They were so excited, in fact, that when he was going to the cross that same night, when he was going to the Passover dinner, two of them asked their mommy to ask Jesus if they could sit on his right and his left. And he's like, I told you I was going to die. And Jesus goes to those two disciples and says, you think you can, you can die like I'm, what's about, you can, can you handle what I'm about to do? Oh, we can handle it, Lord. We can handle it. Good. You're going to. As for who sits on my right and my left, that's the Father's decision. <laughs> you get the prize without the praise. And the question, Carpenter's Way, we have to answer is, do I want to be a fan or follower? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I know that right now in this room and those online, we want to be a follower. But in about an hour, we're going to get bad service at a, at a, at a restaurant or our kids are going to act like they're demon-possessed or our spouse is going to say the wrong thing or our football team is going to lose or something's going to happen and we're just going to forget, forget that everything we do needs to be refined through Christ. Just, just, it just needs to be changed. I don't even know what that looks like. But I do know who can do it. And so I ask your Holy Spirit to guide and direct my life and the lives of those who are right now saying, okay, Father, I want to follow you. May we be servants first. May we seek the kingdom of God first. And may we never forget what you did for us. The whole thing. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. So the first thing you need to do if you're serious about this and a way to get saved is clear the middle. That's how you get saved. That's bad. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, everybody. But we do need, guys, if we can clear this section out, and then we'll bring tables in, and then we'll fill them around with these chairs. Thanks, guys. Bible study is going to start in about 10 minutes.